Hey everybody, happy Thanksgiving. Assuming that I uh, actually get this out on time for it to be Thanksgiving, I'm pretty sure I will. Uh, it's, what, a week before Thanksgiving right now while I'm recording this. So I think we'll get it out there, but just in case, uh, if I miss it, happy belated Thanksgiving and Merry Christmas. Not sure when I'll do another episode. Schedule's getting kind of busy. Uh, naturally, I'm working both Thanksgiving and Christmas. That is the airline pilot life, uh, at least at least starting out. Hey, while I got your attention, uh, I want to tell you about Franksgiving. So what is Franksgiving? It is a charity event uh, that started many years ago in memory of a good friend of mine, Frank Bonacotti, who was tragically killed in a helicopter crash uh, mid-air collision at Fort Lewis. Uh, Frank was a, uh, a great guy, uh, just one of those uh, give your... Uh, you know, give you the shirt off his back kind of guys. Uh, I think he actually literally did that one time for a homeless guy. He took his jacket off and gave it to him. Anyway, um, something his wife started after uh, a couple years after he had died, uh, doing a little uh, a little charity fundraising. And it's something that I've started doing in the past couple of years. We did it about two years ago uh, in the community. Wasn't able to last year, uh, but we're doing it again this year. So for all the... Uh, the video game nerds, uh, we do a uh, digital combat simulator uh, large-scale event that I, uh, I host, and uh, people can bid for slots. So if you are a gamer and you're interested in that, please uh, stop by the Low Level Hell Discord. Uh, but if you're not a gamer and you're just listening to the podcast and you want to donate, uh, you can do that. You can contact me and uh, just let me know. And uh, I'll, uh, I believe I have a donation button set up on the website. If I don't, I'll double check and make sure that I, I put one on there. Uh, but you can donate that way if you are interested. And uh, I'll try and uh, put some information up on the, the website. I'm not very good at keeping up with the website. But I appreciate uh, any support that you guys can give. This year we're going to provide uh, the, the charity funds uh, to the New York Presbyterian Hospital for Cancer Research and Treatment. Anyway, I've uh, talked for at least two minutes here, so we're going to go ahead and move on over to our interview. Uh, it's a little bit longer, but I think you guys will enjoy it. It kind of, uh, kind of flows pretty well with uh, Wild Bill Murray, who uh, flew UH-60. So without further ado, here's our interview with Wild Bill. All right, so, All right, so William Murray, do you go by Bill Murray? I do go by Bill Murray. So, like, what's the worst or most often Bill, Bill Murray joke that you hear? Oh, my God. They always tell me, um, you know, we loved you in Zombieland. It's too bad you're dead. You know, I've, I've heard that so many times. I'm, I didn't even, you know, I was in uh, Honduras, and they kept saying, loved you in Zombieland. It's like, what? So I actually yeah. had to go watch Zombieland to see what people were talking about. I was like, that was funny. Yeah. That was a wild ass scene. And now that you mention it, yeah, it was completely unexpected. Yeah, yeah, um, it was. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then you know, of course, in boot camp, uh, oh, yeah. joined boot camp. Are we recording now? Yeah, oh, yeah, hundred percent. Okay, cool. Yeah, in boot camp, uh, you know, I came in right after uh, stripes, so ninety two. Okay. And the drill sergeant gets up there. And uh, doing roll call, has everybody lined up. And he goes, no fucking way. It must be my fucking birthday. He goes, Private Bill Murray, front and center. I was like, shit. 
So I excuse myself, get up there, and he goes, Private Murray, are you some kind of fucking comedian? I was like, no, Drill Sergeant, you got bullshit with a name like that. He goes, come on, Private Murray, you know what, what kind of training are we going to do, Private Murray? Army training, Drill Sergeant. Nice. <laughs> he goes, oh, my God, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. You know, they made me do push-ups and made me fall back in. And then, of course, when we're running, Private Murray. Get out of here. You know what kind of cadence we want. One chuckle-luck-a-luck-a, two chuckle-luck-a-luck-a, three. <laughs> so Can you like... imagine how terrible your life would have been had you not understood any of the references, though? Oh, God. Yeah, oh, man. You know, because I, I love the movie Stripes. It's hilarious. Uh, you know, but, oh, if I didn't know what he was talking about, yeah. Because I think me just playing into it and, you know, knowing I'm going to get my ass hit, reamed. And yeah. I did a lot of push-ups. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was funny. It was actually a funny time that started cause I never went by Bill Murray. My grandpa was Bill Murray or Bill mm-hmm. Ash. Uh, so he went by Bill. So I went by William or will. And when people mm-hmm. would, you know, call my name in school, Bill Murray, I wouldn't answer them. Right. But, uh, boot camp was when I was like, you know what? I might as well accept it and, uh, drive on. Yeah. So yeah, I've been called Bill Murray my whole army career and, you know, it's, uh, it, well, it's you know, like, I, I was going to say, it's kind of like being a woge. Like the sooner you just embrace the wogedom, the sooner the yes. wogedom ends, you know, if you, if you fight it and act like, well, I used to be an E7. Well, nobody gives a shit woge. Go make coffee. You know, the longer you do that, the longer you're going to be the woge. So that's good. That's right. Yeah. You know, and I did learn that valuable lesson. Just embrace, embrace the suck. Um, and then you can have fun with it later. Um, oh yeah. So yeah, I embrace the suck. Uh, but uh, it made it for a pretty good Army career. Um, even when That's I got great. out, you know, they still call me Bill Murray. So, Sure. Well, I mean, yeah, I think my first email with you, I was like, oh, if I have to. I mean, your name's Bill Murray. Of course <laughs> you're going to be on my podcast. But, um, yeah, Stripes is good for that stuff. I was a mortar platoon leader before I went aviation. And, uh, you know, obviously there was a lot of references there to, you know, setting up the mortar. Oh, yeah. What, sir, what are the coordinates? Coordinates? <laughs> <laughs> fire the weapon <laughs> but uh yeah great movie if, if anyone's listening has never watched stripes uh do do some push-ups and then go watch stripes because it's it is a fantastic movie yeah it's a classic it really is so you said you joined the army when did you say did you say 83 92 92 okay all right yeah it's it's hard for me to listen and comprehend at the same time this is a tough job but uh okay so 92 what what did you uh what did you enlist as well, I first came in as a flight operations. Uh, okay. Of course, I was lied to by uh, my my yeah. recruiters, which is a surprise to everybody. Did you write um, your congressman? No, no. It's <laughs> funny because I went through a boot camp and I went and got a class one flight physical or mm. class one A, whatever they were called back then. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I, my, my recruiter told me I'm going to be flying because that's what I came in the army for. I want to fly. And then he's like, oh, I got the best job for you, flight operations. You'll be transporting secret documents across the United States. I was like, oh, that sounds cool. Then I could work my way into being a pilot. Oh, it was hilarious, man. Jesus. And they showed me this Hollywood production film, I swear. And I don't know where the recruiter got it from, but it was a complete bullface lie. So I get to AIT at Rucker. And um, the, the drill sergeant said, all the flyers fall out over here. All the 93 Charlies and 93 Papas, you know, air traffic controllers and flight operations, fall out over here. I was like, well, I'm a 93P, but 
I'm a flyer. So I followed out right. with the flyers, yeah. which were the 93 Bravos, which were Aero Scout observers at the time. Right. Uh, so I fell out with them. And uh, Joe Sargent said, Private Murray, what the fuck are you doing over there? And I was like, <laughs> I'm a flyer, Joe Sargent. He goes, he looked down, he goes, no, you're not. You're a papa. I was like, no, Joe, sorry, I'm a flyer. I got a flight physical and boot camp. Joe, the recruiter somebody, told me so. Yeah, the recruiter told me I'm a flyer. He goes, oh, shit. He goes, get in my office. And so, mm. of course, uh, I go in his office. He goes, I want you to tell me exactly what the recruiter told you. And I told him. And he goes, all right, primary. I got." He goes, you got 15 minutes to make up your mind. He goes, you mm. can continue your contract. Or I can have you on a plane back to Sacramento tomorrow. Wow. And I was, and I, it was funny because I go, well, can I call my dad? And he goes, hell no, you can't call your dad. You're a fucking adult now. He goes, yeah. you got. <laughs> I was like, you're out of oh, lifelines. <laughs> yeah, you're out of. You can't phone a friend. What's wrong with you? Uh, so I had 15 minutes, and when he came back in, he goes, all right, Private Murray, what's oh. your what's your decision? I was like, well, I'm gonna, I'm already here. I might as well just fulfill my uh, contract and see where it goes and try to apply for flight school as I go along and he's like, all right, get in, get in the wow. line. And on off I went to be a papa. Would that have been, would that have been like a negative? Like, I, I guess I don't understand how that would work. Like, could you then try to come back in the army or would that be yeah, like six months? On you? Okay. No, oh, okay. not. Yeah. I could have, I could have went back home to California and, um, six months later I could reapply. Uh, okay. but you know, me, I was, you know, my, my last summer before I joined, I, I came in in September. So after, after high school that summer, I, I had a great time and I realized, you know what, if I go back to California, I'm going to fall right. back into that. And, you know, I probably will never rejoin. And, uh, right. so I'm like, Hey, I'm here, you know, let's see where this takes me and, um, and go from there. And, uh, it definitely turned out turned out in my favor. Yeah, it's kind of like ruck marching. Like you don't want to stop; just keep going. Like just you know, keep it going. sucks, but but the moment you stop, you remember how much it sucked when you were going, and you don't want to start again. So that's probably a yeah. good, good move. But and well, well it was, but it wasn't because you know <laughs> I went to um, Fort Polk was my first duty assignment. Ooh, yeah. And uh, it was funny because the chaplain would come down right when we got our duty assignment. He's like. Hey, uh, where are you going? I'm going to JBLM. Oh man, you got the mountains. You know, it's an awesome place. There's fishing there. And he goes up to someone else. Hey, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to Campbell. Like, oh, great training. You got Nashville right down the road. You'll love Music Row. Hey, Private Murray, where are you going? I'm going to Fort Polk. They got a good golf course. And, <laughs> and then I was like, oh shit, where am I going? I'm like, oh man. And I ain't lying. That was Fort Polk because I got there. Um, the end of uh, 92 and mm. JRTC moved from Fort Chaffee uh, right. down to Fort Polk in 93, uh, yeah. the beginning of 93. And when they came in, it was like the, the new kid on the block. Everybody wanted to go. It's like, you know, they just opened mm. up the brand new restaurant. Everybody's been waiting on. So there's a long line for everybody to get in right. and everybody and their brother wanted to go to JRTC. But the problem is I was in the medevac there and no one would bring their medevac. So we had to go out to the field with yeah. the 101st or 82nd or 10th Mountain or whoever else was rolling in at the time. And we'd be in the field for three weeks because Jared, you see at the time when they rolled in, it was a three-week uh, field field exercise. 
And, you know, you, you tear down the talk and rebuild the talk anywhere between four to six times in that, in that two, two weeks and you jump and be an attack and everything else. It was, it was a, a lot of field duty and kind of shitty. <laughs> you know, if yeah. anybody's been to JRTC knows that's not a great time <laughs> down there. So, yeah. That was, that was my um, second to last duty assignment, uh, was, was at Fort Polk as a, as an OC and, it's just funny to hear you say like, oh, everybody's waiting to get into JRTC. It's like, eh, it's not that way now, I don't think. I mean, there's certainly some. Uh, I foolishly asked for it because I thought it was going to help my career. Uh, it, it didn't. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, I can't imagine that. Because basically the Op4 guys, the Geronimo guys have to do that too. The augment. You know, yes. Go out yep. to the field constantly. Just just a constant turn. But uh, so, yeah. yeah, I got out of there as fast as I could. I volunteered, mm. went to Germany. Um, after I only did two years at, uh, Polk and then mm-hmm. off to Germany, I went and that was in 95. So the first year in Germany was pretty cool. I became a, a, a brigade driver, brigade commander's driver. Oh yeah. There um, you go. so I drove all over Germany, saw everything, met, you know, even met, uh, general Abrams, you know, and, um, got to drive him around. He was a pretty interesting character. Um, but, uh, and then Bosnia kicked off. And I was like, oh, shit. So my last year in, in, in Germany, I wasn't in Germany. I was in Macedonia uh, for a few months doing the uh, Camp Abel Century United Nation mission um, with the big blue shoot me patch and the beret. I hated wearing that damn blue beret. But um, And then uh, got back from that for a couple months and went right to Bosnia. Um, and, you know, I was applying for flight school at the same time. And brigade command or battalion commander was like, I can't afford to lose you. He goes, I need you. So I'm not, I'm not recommending you to go to, fl- I'm not putting my recommendation in. And I was like, no driver. I, well, actually I left the driver and became operation of the CO. So I was, oh, in, okay. you know, so I'm actually, you know, doing my job again. Yeah. But, um, he's like, no, I can't, I can't afford to lose you. And I was like, well, no, I want I really want to do this. And he's like, no, but, um, and then we get into Bosnia, which funny, I was, I was there for about uh, eight months, six months, eight months, but I was in Macedonia four months prior to that. Uh, so I was deployed almost a whole year. Um, and, uh, the unit I was attached to, they flew the, the, the I-4, COM I-4, which was a four-star admiral at the time, Admiral Smith, um, really, really nice guy. But so they flew, that was a whole mission was flying him around. And I got to fly in the aircraft a few times and go down to Sarajevo and check out that city. And um, so it was time for them to go home. It was right before Christmas of 96. And uh, I'm like, yeah, good. I'm going home. Well, no. They came back and they said, hey, uh, Murray, the battalion commander is giving you three options. Because I didn't sign my reenlistment paperwork at the time. And it was right mm-hmm. at the end of my four-year commitment. He goes, you can, um, I was like, I'm not, I'm not staying. I'm going home. I got, my son was born in Germany. So I, this whole year I didn't even see my son, you know, so he's already just over a year old and, um, I never saw him, you know, I'm back. Of course we didn't have communications like they do now. We didn't have FaceTime. We didn't have all this stuff. So literally, you know, I, you know, when you call, you know, early deployments, people realize you talk five seconds later they'd hear you and then yeah. they talk and so now you're yeah. talking over each other oh it's so frustrating so normally it. didn't even didn't even talk to 
to your your loved ones but and uh, we didn't have sat phones or anything like that back then so it was uh <clears throat> so it came up on time for me to go back and i was like no i'm not staying i'm going home i got my son i have not seen you know he's already a year old and i've seen him maybe six weeks of his life you know i was there when he was born but after that i I wasn't. I was like, I'm going home. I like my family's important to me. And they like, oh, the battalion commander is giving you three options. One, you can continue on with your career. You're going to stay here because they wanted to keep me there for another nine months. Um, mm. So I was like, yeah, that's 18 months deployed in Bosnia. Four months prior to to that, I'm like that's 22 months. Yeah. You know, deployed away. My son will be almost three years old by the time I got home. I was yeah. like, no. <laughs> I was like, no. And they're like. Well, you can either stay here and continue on with your career, sign your reenlistment paperwork and drive on, or you can uh, – or we're going to dishonorably discharge you for dire- disobeying a direct order, or you can have a hardship discharge. I was like, huh? I'm like, so – I'm like, okay. And they're like, don't answer now. Don't answer now. I'm like, <laughs> I already knew my answer. I'm like, so – and uh, then the company command comes back. You know, about a day later, and goes, all right, battalion commander, you don't, you only have two options now. One, uh, you're either going to have a, you know, a dis, a, a dishonorable discharge or general discharge for disobeying a direct order or your hardship. Those are your two options. And he goes, the battalion commander wants to see you in his tent. I was like, what? Okay, so I get in the tent. And I already, I was like, I'm taking the hardship discharge. You know, I'm, I'm getting out of the army. And he's, he's commenced chewing my butt. You know, telling me how. I'm um, not loyal to the army and and everything else. And I was like, you know, <clears throat> and then he sits there and me being the young, dumb soldier that I was and not politically, you know, not able to comprehend that I'm getting my ass chewed because I want to go see my son, you yeah, know. And, how dare you? Yeah. And I'm like, he goes, do you have anything to say for yourself, Specialist Murray? And I went, as a matter of fact, I do. Looking right. back on it, I should have just kept my mouth shut. No, sir. And drive on, and I said, my back, I do. I was like, this army could kiss my ass. I only have one yeah. family, and I'm going home <laughs> to see my son, and I don't give it, you know. And he got so red that he actually put me in confinement, put me in a tent, took my weapon away, put me in a tent, put a, a put a guard on the tent, and I was there oh, for a few days. You know, they put a porter john outside the tent, and literally, I was like in confinement. <laughs> Um, all because I, you know, that's the way this commander was. was, I was like, damn, you know, so I'm sitting in this tent for a few days and finally, right before Christmas, the unit leaves and they send, uh, it was like, I think it was 12 Blackhawks, 10 Blackhawks, something like that. They flew them down and they get to Bagra or to Zagreb in Turkey. Um, no, Hungary. But anyways, on the way we land, we go in and this one awesome captain named Captain Bracewell, he's a freaking amazing guy. Um, you know, and, uh, we get to get, we stop to get gas run route to Germany and then we get ready to go back in and we're taxiing out and tower comes over and says, Hey, we need you to come back. The battalion commander wants to talk to you, Captain Bracewell. So we taxi back, Captain Bracewell comes out and comes out from that call and he goes, Hey, Hey, uh, Murray, he goes, these, I think it was like three or four Blackhawks are going to Germany. These three or four Blackhawks are going back to Bosnia. He goes, whichever one you get on, I don't know. He goes, but the battalion commander wants you back in Bosnia. Oh, shit. And I was like, okay. So I got on the ones that were going to Germany. 
And uh, so then <laughs> I, I cleared and three weeks later I was out of the army um, and heading wow. back to California. But uh, yeah, it was funny. I though. mean, uh, just the fucking the audacity of it. Right. I mean, and, and that's what a lot of people I don't think understand. And I'm not like a military cheerleader by any stretch of the imagination because I've seen, you know, nothing extreme like you're talking about. But, you know, we've all seen it like the army yeah. cares about your family right up until it doesn't, you know, and God bless. You know, this is the 90s. Imagine if Duffel Blog, you know, or uh, uh, I know, right? was around right now. Like, oh, my God, <laughs> he lambasted. But those dudes still exist. Those guys who do. feel that way, that your loyalty 100% is to the army. And what a lot of people just don't understand is like, okay, but the army doesn't care about you. And that's, I don't, I don't say that like maliciously. It's an organization of lots and lots of people. And it's built upon redundancy. You, you could be the best flight ops sergeant, the best driver, the best pilot. It doesn't matter. 10 minutes after you're out the door, somebody's replaced you. They may not be as yep. good at you as you, but they are good enough to fill that role and it's going to be okay. But there's too many commanders uh, that just don't see it that way because it's, it's, it's friction, right? And they don't want any friction, but particularly at that level. And I saw that way too much, you know, as I climbed the ladder and watched these guys, you know, they're so close to making the, the bird. They're so close to making the star and any and amount. They of become friction, political when they get absolutely. that close. You know, Absolutely. When you make a brigade commander or you make your star, you're not yeah. only a soldier now, you're a politician. And yeah, I mean, that's fact. Right. Absolutely. It Especially is. at the general level, you are in, oh, in, yeah. in a way a politician. Yep. Uh, you know, I mean, they call colonels the executive level. Yeah. So those are considerations. And when you're a lieutenant, I mean, I had a boss, a squadron commander who, uh, uh, he, I mean, he would come into my office sometime and he would just talk about the difference in pay between or a difference in retirement pay between light colonel and, and full bird. Cause that was his goal. Like he just wanted to make full bird because of the pay. And I'm like, you shouldn't even be a fucking like Lieutenant Colonel, <laughs> like let alone should, yeah. should be a fucking full bird. <clears throat> but you know, but, but and, and you see it, I mean, the higher you get, you, when you get close to that goal, of course you just start thinking like, well, maybe I can make it, maybe I can make it. And now you got this upstart, you know, specialist who who wants to leave and it's going to cause a, a bone but i just I, the nerve of somebody to to do that so good for you i mean i know you said you wish you hadn't but i i'm glad you did like tell well, that dude straight it, up. yeah and yeah. i i the one thing about me even when i was a warrant you know anybody that knows me sometimes if i'm passionate about something i am i'm all for it I mean, I go balls to the wall if I'm passionate and no one's going to stop me. And at the time, you know, I just did, you know, nine, nine months, 10 months deployed in shitty conditions. And, right. you know, and I wanted to see my son. Yeah. And I remember, you know, I get off that helicopter in Germany, in Carterbach, Germany. And I remember walking up to my son, you know, and he's standing behind my now ex-wife, but he's standing behind her. And I'm like, and he's looking around like, I know that voice, but I don't know this person. Yeah. And I was like, you know, hey, William, come here. And he's like, looking around. He's like, who is that? And then finally, I was like, it's your dad. And I got down mm -hmm. on my knees and finally he realized, oh, that's my dad. And then he ran up and gave me a big hug. You know, and I was like, right then and there, the shit I went through to get to that point was a million percent worth it. I mean, yeah. you know, just because then, you know, then I got out of the army 
and I became an airline dispatcher for SkyWest Airlines. So, really? okay. uh, yeah, back in the nineties and, and, you know, did that for a little bit, but, um, it didn't work out. Um, just wasn't for me. I've always wanted to fly. My passion yeah. has been to fly since I was seven years old and, uh, joined the California oh. national guard. Well, let me ask you a question because I got this question yesterday. I went in to see one of my doctors. I'm getting ready for my class one physical here in a couple of weeks. So I've got to get all of my paperwork lined up. Yeah. And uh, and he's a new doctor for me. And uh, he and so he's doing his paperwork. He says, "Why do you why do you like being a pilot?" And I don't I don't know that I could answer the question very well. Do you have any like like what's your answer to that question? Why you said you've always wanted to fly? Why? Well, I've always been intrigued by the fact that we could go from like say yesterday, yesterday I went from Charlotte to Denver, Denver to Missoula, Montana, and back to Denver in one day. Right. And you know, when you get up in the air, you're traveling a such long distance and you're seeing stuff that most people never see. Yeah. I mean, you're seeing the earth and the United States or wherever you are from a perspective of like a bird. And that always intrigued me, the fact that, hey, you know, I am actually looking at landscape that I didn't know existed when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, yeah. I grew up in California. The only time I ever left California was when I was younger. I went to Hawaii on a vacation. But other than that, you know, we go to Nevada from time to time, but maybe drive to Oklahoma. But I was young. I was in the back. I didn't see much, you know. And then to yeah. actually be able to see, you know, and everything's different because – you know, when you get in the aircraft, the plane is only good at the table before you, you, you hit start on the engines. And then that plan goes out the window. And now you have to be reactive and proactive at the same time. Yeah. And that always, you know, being a helicopter pilot, being an aerosol pilot, I love flying aerosols. I mean, yeah. I did it 13 out of my 17 years. Um, and, you know, you have to be able to make decisions fast. And I, I've, I found myself good at it, I guess. Um, and, you know, and I always like the, you don't know what to expect. And just like even flying, you know, yeah, sometimes 121 can be boring, but you still never know what to expect. Right. You know, landed in Denver yesterday, had to de-ice. It's not even Halloween yeah. yet. It had to de-ice. That's <laughs> like, yeah. you know, yeah. or you get... Or you get this emergency when I was flying charter. I've had so many emergencies flying charter. I mean, <laughs> yeah. oh, God. Or FOs trying to kill you. You know, it's been um, – so, no, I mean, I think it's just – it's nothing's never the same. Yeah. You know, I'm the type of person – I did my last three years in the Army was behind a desk. Um, and I hated it because it, it was the same thing. I'm going to go into work. I'm going to – have to do this meeting and fill out this paperwork and you know it's like no i like the fact that everything you plan up to it and then after that you, there's never no aerosol ever went off as planned oh no something always changes in route before you take off after you take off you know yeah. something's changing and it's fluid it's not stagnant and that's just me I, i'm always moving i'm always doing something and you know that's just you know so you know it's like a, say it's a thinking man's game like you yeah it is just fucking in it and you know yeah. it's like when I, I joined the national guard it was funny because i joined the national guard right before christmas of 2000 i think no it's 19 
Yeah, it was 2000. And I walk up to the, the commander at a Christmas party. And um, he didn't know me. I didn't in process with him yet. And I, I don't even think I finished in processing the unit at the time. And I walk up and I said, hey, sir, I'm Specialist Murray. I want to fly. He goes, <laughs> who are you? I'm like, oh, you're new flight ops uh, soldier. And I want to fly. I want to go to flight school. He goes, that's kind of ballsy to walk up to your commander. And, you know, we're in medevac, so it's major. And yeah. I don't even know you. And you're already asking for a letter of recommendation to go to flight school. I'm like, yes, sir. He goes, I like that. He goes, be in my <laughs> office on January 3rd. He goes, be in my office. So I walked in and he goes, I'm going to give you a letter of recommendation under one condition. You better not let grass grow under your feet. I went, yes, sir. So that was January 3rd. I started my packet. In June, I had a flight school date. Nice. And he's like, I've never seen anybody go through a packet that fast. I was like, you yeah. finally gave me the choice that I've always wanted. And no one would ever give me the opportunity to do it. And you gave it to me. I'm not going to squander it. And boy, I was off I went. That's that started my my helicopter career with the army. <laughs> it was funny. So we've seen we've seen like both spectrums, right? Of of command, right? We've seen douchebaggery, which yep. is don't 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 go against what I want, or I'm going to put you in a tent with bread and water and a fucking latrine outside. Or the other <laughs> side, which is I'm gonna I'm gonna do a quick evaluation based on your ballsiness, and I'm gonna I'm gonna hold you accountable for your actions. And, 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 you know, encourage you, but I'm going to give you opportunity. And yeah. I wish, I wish we had more of the latter, but uh, oof, sometimes it seems like we get more of the former or, or just kind of in well, the middle of the wishy-washy, just do whatever. I think it goes in phases. Yeah. Cause you know, 24 years in the army, I seen it go in phases. You would get a group of commanders that were just phenomenal. Mm. I mean, we had, I had one Colonel Alexander, known him since he was a lieutenant he was my battalion commander and air cab we went to afghanistan together and he had colonel albus who was another phenomenal commander who would just literally trust their soldiers to do the right thing but if you fucked up you're getting punished right that's it but he would trust us like in afghanistan you know i was with air cav and i did 73 air assaults in nine months in afghanistan yeah. And that's how I got the nickname Wild Bill was just from, I mean, we were doing aerosols after aerosols after aerosols. After, I mean, just continuous. But, you know, we would go out and I'd be the air mission commander on a lot of these. And I actually one time was the air mission commander with my battalion commander sitting right beside me. Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute, sir, you're supposed to be. He goes, no, absolutely not. He goes, I'm in the tent doing my command duties. You're the one that's flying this. You have the. The mission, you know the terrain, you know the area, you know everything else. Yeah. So you're in charge of this. And I was like, yeah. wow. You know, because that's the type of commander he was. He was like, you know yeah. what? I trust you to do the right thing. Go do it. I'm not going to micromanage you. And he didn't. And we brought every single soldier home on that deployment. Mm -hmm. You know, and we didn't have no accidents. We had two incidents, which one of them happened to be mine. Go figure. But uh, PI put me in the trees. I chopped down the biggest tree <laughs> in Afghanistan. I didn't even think there was trees that big, but he found well, there it. There used to be, and now there's not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm sure they're all pissed off because this was like their holy tree of 30 feet tall, you right. know, and uh, well, it's not 30 feet tall anymore. And uh, 
you know, chop down the freaking tree. And then I was like, go around, go around, go around. And he went, okay. And he just pulled the collective up, nosed it over. And I was like, and there's a mountain in front of us. I'm like, oh, shit. I grabbed the stick and I yanked as hard as I could. And we missed the mountain by, by I think it was like six feet. And, uh, you know, I was like, not today, not today, not today. Please, Lord, not today. And, man, we screamed up that mountain and uh, missed it by like six feet. And my crew chief, Paul Kitchen, who was on the other side, he's like, he's like I, could, I could count the blades of grass as we're going up the mountain. Yeah. I was like, damn, that was close, man. It was close. And it was literally five days after my brother was killed in action. So he was killed mm-hmm. in Afghanistan. And five days later, this almost happened. So my mom almost lost wow. two boys in a matter of a week. Wow. And, um, but, what, uh, what did your brother do? He was infantry. He was okay. with the 25th infantry out of Hawaii. Uh, we didn't even know he was there. And that's the thing. Wow. We didn't know he was there. He, um, did so many deployments. I mean, so many, he's one of those awesome soldiers. I mean, just like a soldier that everybody wanted to be around. Very good leader. Very, you know, he came, he went in the army because I went in the army. We were the only two, first two in our family that joined the army. Everybody else joins the air force. Hmm. Cause I grew up around three air force bases. So, you know, everybody joined the air force. I joined the army, kind of broke the mold and he joined after me, but uh, he's one of those soldiers that, I mean, he even got a battlefield promotion in Iraq because his platoon sergeant was killed in front of him and he was the next in line. So he made sergeant in Iraq. Um, but everybody loved being around him and he was a, a tow missile driver and hit an IED as they were getting engaged in uh, RC East. They were getting engaged by uh, the Taliban and commander ordered him to reposition his tow missile to get a better angle to uh, take out the, uh, the, you know, the nest that they were getting attacked by. And, um, as he was repositioning his tow missile, he hit a, I think they said it was about 500 pound IED. Um, so right underneath his seat. So he killed him instantly. Um, and you know, sad part about it was I was doing these air assaults on RC West and I get back from this hellacious air assault where, you know, find out later that we almost could have died. It was, I'll tell you this story in a minute, but, Open up the laptop and it says, sorry for your loss. Sorry for your loss. Sorry for your loss. I'm like, sorry for my loss. I'm like, what the fuck are people talking? I'm like, what are you talking about? So I shut my laptop because, you know, I always had Facebook open. And when I was always deployed in combat, I would say, the weather's hot here in Afghanistan or something. And they knew, my whole family knew I was okay. That was the way for me to reach out to all of my family to say, yeah, you know, the weather's hot or, you know, it was kind of tiring day to day but you know so something along the lines and um so i go to talk and i grab the sat phone and i called my ex-wife and i said hey and as soon as she answered she goes call your mom click she hangs up the phone on me like Hmm. what so i called my mom and that's when i found out that uh james was was killed but um but yeah it was um what was funny is that air assault that I was on, on the day, I always pride myself to land at the LZ that I'm supposed to land at. You know, it's like <laughs> kind of big, you know. Yeah. Well, on this one, we're flying 
find ODA and we I overshot my LZ by like I want to say 100 100 meters 100 yards something like that and I was pissed because I put him down on the ground I was like man I just I overshot it and you know so I land get him out you know 72 hours to come back to pick him on ground force commander gets back on my aircraft I said hey sir I am so sorry for overshooting this LZ he goes no he goes you overshooting that LZ saved our lives I was like explain Hmm. he's like we got off that there was Taliban that was there, and they they we overshot them because they they thought we they knew we were going to land at this one point, and mm-hmm. I overshot them. And when they got off, they turned around and they killed one of them. By the time they got over, they got it was six PKMs, uh, mm-hmm. RPGs, and if I would have landed in the LZ, they would have been right in front of me. They would have shredded us. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I was like, damn. I was like, so you know, it was one of those. Oh, I don't feel bad now, but you know, it was, yeah, it was a happy little accident. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, it was one of those like, wow, that well, was, that was close. And, and there it is, right? Like, so the bad guys can also read a map, you know, and do some analysis. So, so whoever kind of figured out that this was a good LZ, those guys obviously did some sort of analysis and said, this, this looks like a good LZ. Yep. Huh. And they knew oh, we were going wow. to that LZ, but yeah, yeah I've had a, I've had too many of those close calls. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, like I said, you know, good good faith in the good Lord above, and everything happens for a reason. Um, you know, my brother being killed, um, he died doing what he loved doing. And you can't fault anybody for that. You know, because, yeah. you know, any one of us, you know how you always say, when you, you do the briefing, enemy has a vote. They always yeah. do. Um, you could do the, you could be as safe as you possibly can. Well, the enemy has a vote and, um, you know, just very fortunate that all these times I've been engaged that their vote didn't count at the time. And, uh, yeah. you know, so, you know, went through, you know, did that, uh, did that year in Afghanistan and, and then, um, went off and trained the, uh, Dutch army on how to do air assaults after that and continue my career into to where i am today flying for frontier airlines so let's go back to um to flight school uh i mean what how was flight school for you what what year did you go i uh went to walk school november 2001 so graduated january 31st 2002 and started flight school a few months after that so 2002 Finished uh, flight school in 2003. Um, okay. but see the, we were there at the same time then. You were leaving when well, I got there. California National Guard sent me to flight school. Okay. So I get to flight school and I finish uh, – actually, it was, I think I just finished primary one. And the senior TAC or the senior uh, – you know, I don't think they call them TACs, but the – in the uh, Bravo company, you know. Yeah, like the little, the overseers. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> Who turned out to me... usually be like failures of the advanced force <laughs> yeah, or something, and they just stick yeah, them over they... there and just run herd on all these woges. Yeah. Uh, the W-4 that was in charge uh, called me in his, his office and said, hey, Bill. Did he have the uh, mustache? You... Was that the little guy with the mustache? No, no. Oh, okay. It was uh, the guy right before him. Um, mm. Drawing a blank on his name. Yeah, I can't I'm sure it'll come to me. Uh, but, um, 
So we sit there and he pulled me in. He goes, hey, you got to call California National Guard. So I called and the, the, my commander was Major Spano. Uh, awesome dude too. But And I uh, called him up and I said, hey, what's going on? He goes, hey, Bill, I'm sorry to tell you this, but your slot, because I was going to come back and be the assistant S3 for the for the, the unit there in, in Mather. He goes, yeah, they restructured the California National Guard. We had to send six Blackhawks to Nevada. I lost your slot. Hmm. I was like, huh? He goes, yeah, I lost your slot. He goes, you could finish primary and come back to the California National Guard, so I would only be 58 quals. And uh, it would be about two years before we could get you, up to two years so we could get you to the uh, Blackhawk oh course. And I'm like, shit, what am I supposed to do? I have two kids, you know? Yeah. Um, and I just quit my job in California, which was a blessing. But I was like, so I'm like, okay, uh, what are my options? He goes, well, you could call and find out if Nevada will pick you up because you, now you got to call the, each state and talk to their yeah. state aviation officer and see if they'll pick you up. Or you could go active duty. <clears throat> it's limited call to active duty. I was mm-hmm. like, well, I'm like, I don't really want to go back on active duty. Um, so I called, man, I swear I called almost every state. Nobody would pick me up. Nobody. Wow. And so I'm not only my flying primary and I'm also studying when I wasn't, I was calling all these states, talking to the state aviation office, trying to figure out if anybody picked me up. Nobody. So I'm like, well, I guess I'm going active. So I filled out the packet, uh, to go limited call to active duty, um, and, uh, got approved. And so my, I had Blackhawks. I was guaranteed Blackhawks. It's the only thing they gave me. They said guaranteed Blackhawks and you get um, first pick on your duty assignment, but we're not guaranteeing your duty assignment, but we will guarantee you the Blackhawk. And so, um, so yeah, I continued on my flight school. Uh, didn't have to worry about selection because I already had the Blackhawk. So flight school was actually fun because I didn't have that stress. On oh, me. yeah. I, uh... <clears throat> you know, I didn't. Well, my my stick buddy going through primary, I can't, God, I can't think of his name. It's right on the tip of my tongue. But he was California National Guard. Um, but he was uh, going Blackhawks. It was 2003. And yeah, I mean, all those reserve and and guard guys. I mean, they just were living life because they already knew. You know, all they had to yeah. do was pass. It didn't matter. You know, the rest of us active duty <laughs> chumps, we're all just, oh, I gotta run faster. My PT test. You know, and I don't remember <laughs> what kind of cloud is what. You know. Um, yeah, so that's a lot less stress. That's good. Well, did it you did. want? I mean, did you want Blackhawks? Like, or, I did. I mean, obviously. Okay. What, I what drew Black you Hawk. to that? Well, what drew me to Blackhawk was I liked the mission. Yeah. You know, at the time, I didn't. You know, I I was in medevac for the army as a as a flight operations, and then I was also in air assault with uh, at Karabakh, so doing all the uh, Bosnia and Macedonia stuff. All those, uh, so I, I was like, man, just the mission itself, there's three different, you know, you can do air assault, medevac, or general support. Um, I was like, so I didn't know where I fit at the time, but yeah. I knew I liked that, that I have options. So if I didn't like air assault, I could go do medevac. I don't like medevac, I could do general yeah. support, whatever. And um, so I, I, I wanted the, uh, just the, the, the option to do multiple things. If I don't like something, I got another avenue. I'm not stuck, you know, no. by not liking it. Um, so yeah, I've, I've always wanted to fly Blackhawks and I had it. So that was, it worked out because <laughs> it was funny because 
on selection. They get up there and they're like, you know, I think they had 20 or something Blackhawk slots and a few Apaches and Chinooks and 58s, you know. And they said, all right, well, we got 30. It was like, man, I'm just going to argument sake, say 32. And they're like, we got 32. Nope. Disregard. 31. Murray, you got the first Blackhawk. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like bottom like, of the OML and everyone's like, what the shit? Yeah. <laughs> it was funny because I was like, they're like, everybody looked back at me because no one knew my story. No one knew that right. I, you know, filled out my, you know, that I wasn't National Guard. I didn't tell anybody I was National Guard. Um, so no one knew my story. They're like, how, what, you're number one on the OML? How are you number one? Right. And I was like, well, <laughs> you take that, like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then um, off I went well, to the well, mass course. I had a similar type situation happened. So, I mean, the, the construct was the same when you went through and, and I went through when we finished, um, or we were getting close to finishing instruments phase, right? So you're not even at assignments for, for aircraft yet. I get a, I get an email. So my background, I had been a commission guy in armor and then I resigned my commission and became a warrant officer and went through flight school. So here I'm in flight school, W2 and, uh, cause they, they pinned me W2 like right away. Cause I'd already been a captain and um, I, I get this email from, from branch, which I think back then was called Perscom. Uh, but I get this email from the branch manager who I'd never spoken to. And he says, Hey Brian, I just cut your RFO for, for going to brag. And I'm like, uh, why do I have an RFO for brag? Like I haven't, I haven't even assigned an aircraft yet. You know, I'm months and months away from graduating flight school. So I didn't think much of it. And then, uh, you know, you get to the end of flight school and now they're doing the assignments for uh, locations, just like you described. You know, they just come in and you're like, you know, everybody's gathered around. Okay, we have these many slots, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I think I was like third on the OML or something. So, you know, I had my pick of the litter. They're pretty much anything was available. And uh, and they said, okay, Harris, what do you got? And I was like, I'm already going to brag. And they probably did the same thing but when you were there that I was there. Like, they would just hammer you. Do not talk to Branch. Do not contact right. Branch. Do not reach out yep. to them or anything. This dude, I mean, fucking coals in his eyes, like just burning. And he looked at me and he's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, yeah, Branch contacted me months ago and told me I was going to brag. And they immediately pulled me out of the room, sent me to to the W4's office, the guy with the, the mustache, if I recall. And uh, he wasn't a bad dude. And, oh, he's um, awesome. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I just can't think of his name. He's a little guy. But um, so they pull me in there and he's like, what, you know, what? what are you talking about? What is, how do you have an RFO? And I said, look, they contacted me back in like January and said I was going to branch. And, and all these guys of course knew that I had been previously commissioned. Um, so they're like, well, you know, you, you must know somebody, you know, you were a captain, you must know somebody. I was like, dude, I was armor. Like, I don't know anybody at Bragg. You know, there's no <laughs> tanks at Bragg. You know, that's not my, that's not the circles, you know, that I travel. And, um, to this day, I have no idea, but so he calls branch. He's like, I'm going to figure this out. So he, I'm sitting there. He calls branch. He's like, uh, uh-huh, uh, uh-huh, uh, uh-huh, okay. Hangs up and he says, you've got a by name request. And to this day, I have no idea how that happened. The only thing I can surmise is that somebody else named Brian Harris thought he was going to brag and probably ended up in like Alaska or some shit. And it was like, what the hell is this? I was told I was going to brag. Cause it's the only thing that makes sense to me. I have no idea who would have by name requested me to go to brag. But, but again, it just kind of goes back to your point of like, everyone's like looking at me weird. And the, you know, the, of course the tax were not happy because they thought I'd circumvented the system. 
But um, yeah, that's an emotional time. You know, it's a big deal now when they do aircraft assignments. It isn't like the clipboard in the back room, like when I you know. and I went through. They get like mugs and shit, and they have like a party, and they show videos and all this stuff. It's a big deal. Well, my my son's in flight school right now. He's in he's in uh, BCS. Oh, okay. I only think they call it basic combat skills. They call it something else no, now. Probably not. Yeah. But yeah, you know they have to change everything. Um, yeah, it's probably the but, exact same syllabus, just a different name. Yeah, so he's in BC, basic combat training skills, whatever they call it. So he's there right now at record, and he told me the way they they do selections now. It's like they totally taken out the OML. It's really it's yeah, you know, you get and you say, all right, I want to go. I want Blackhawks number one. You know, I want fixed wing number two, or whatever, and then. Uh, Apaches, Chinooks, whatever you put, you own, you put it in your top from one to four, yeah. and then you put your where you want to go. Just like for what we have to do, uh, you know, with branch when we get ready to PCS, you know, I want these yeah. three state sides and these two overseas, and then they select it. Yeah. You, it's out of your control once you hit submit, and then branch says, "All right, just they do the same, they do the same thing." that we do when we're getting ready to PCS, except for they just add aircraft selection to it. Mm-hmm. So it's not even an OML anymore. They're taking wow. it out. So they, it's one of those weird things, but yeah. So, um, but yeah, you know, I'm, <clears throat> I had Blackhawks to Hawaii is where I was supposed to go. And um, I was on the top of the aircraft pre-flight in the Blackhawk and I get the 703 area code phone number. You know, back that's where Branch was in Arling or Arlington or yeah Alexandria, Alexandria, Crystal, Virginia, Crystal City, yeah, yeah, Crystal, yep. Yeah. And uh, and my uh, instructor, I was like seven oh three. He goes, dude, that's Branch. You better answer it. <laughs> and I was like, all right. So I'm on top of the Blackhawk pre-flight, and I answer it, and it was CW five at Branch, and he goes, hey, Bill. I'm like, yeah, who's this? And he's CW5 so I was like, he goes, have they picked up your household goods yet? I went, no, that's next week. He goes, oh, thank God. I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> and he goes, I'm like, why? What's up? He goes, you're not going to Hawaii. You're going to Campbell. Mm-hmm. And I said, you mean I'm going to Iraq? He goes, yep. Because, <laughs> you know, that was that was March of 2003, right after the invasion. Right. Yeah. And uh, so I'm like, and sure enough, man. I, uh, they, they picked up my goods, went to, uh, um, Campbell. My youngest son was born on May 31st. And, uh, a month later I was on a plane to, uh, to Iraq. And, uh, yeah, that was a trip too, you know, um, 101st being in Q West, living in blown up bunkers. That was a fun yeah. time. Yeah. Um, the it was. I mean, everything was a shithole back then. Yeah. You know, true. Um, the problem is but, it's still uh, a shithole. <laughs> I know, right? That one in particular. That's, what, that's like, you know, when you go to Bliss, you know, I did. I, I trained for Div West, so I was training the National Guard yeah. before they went down range. Yeah. And we do all of our, our uh, dust landing quals and everything else in uh, Bliss. And I swear to God, if you put someone in a C-17, flew them around for fucking 10 hours – Landed mm-hmm. in that backwoods of bliss. It's like, congratulations, you're in Afghanistan. Oh, you'd be like, you'd be like, oh, yeah, this is exactly what Afghanistan looks like. 
It's like, yeah, yeah I'm in Afghanistan, you know. Just but random bliss. fucking mountains sticking out of the desert. Yeah. Yeah, everywhere. And hot as fuck. It's like, oh my yeah. God. Just get me out of I, here. Uh, the first time I ever went to Bliss, we so I was a Kiowa guy at the time from Bragg, and um, we were supposed to go out and do the JTF North mission, like fly the border right? Um, with the Border Patrol. And so I went with my boss. I was a captain at the time. I was a plans officer, and I went with the S3 and some other dudes, and we, we flew out to Bliss and you know, doing a PDSS and looking around, which is the pre-site survey for people. That, that if you're getting ready to deploy somewhere, you send some people to go check things out and make sure that you have the, the housing and everything that you need and checking stuff out. So we go out to Bliss, and then we went out. Did you ever fly out to Plyus? Does that name mean anything to you? No. Or, or you didn't fly at Bliss. You were just training there. Yeah, I was an OC. So I was I in the you. back. I well, I was a unit trainer. So my yeah. job was to take these pilots and do do six day dust landings, six night dust landings, and they, yeah. um, and then we do a air assault, you know, or, okay. um, and um, so yeah, so the day and night I was up in front, you know, flying and trying to get them the, the six day, six night, and then the air assault I was in the back, you know, yeah. OC and the whole thing, just like you know, so no, I mean we did some high altitude training out there until that yeah. Chinook went down and that kind of put a dampener mm. on everything. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I was mostly out in the, just the training areas there. Yeah. Bliss. Well, I guess to your point though, like it, it is exactly like when I was there and then six months later, we ended up deploying it to Kandahar and it, I mean, even <laughs> the field elevation was roughly the same, you know I mean? I it, know, looked, right? it looked exactly the same. So I think bliss, you know, that first time I went out to bliss, this was 2009. It was not a great post, but then I went back out there to do some training 2013, maybe. And they had come a long way. They'd they'd done a lot of improvements on that base. Oh, it's one of the most amazing. I mean, if you talk about if army bases, I mean, bliss was like the uh, poster child, the way the army bases were supposed to start going to phasing to. I mean, you had the movie theater, you had Buffalo Wild Wings, you had a, a mall type px yeah. which had all the food court and the you know amazing everything you would have in a, in a major mall yeah. uh and actually the unit buildings were nice they were new oh the hangers were brand new beautiful yeah. hangers man um you know i remember we we actually flew our hawks down there to do this training and we were the and bliss was deployed at the time the hangers just got finished we were the first aircraft to be towed in on that fresh paint on the on the hangar floors and we put the yeah. first black marks on the, <laughs> it was like, <laughs> you know, but yeah, it was, you know, those hangers were, were wonderful. And, um, which, which is funny because we walked all over those hangers. Like, man, this is awesome. My last year in the army, I designed all the hangers in Hawaii. Hmm. That was my last year. They, they gave me a shell. I said, all right, Bill, this is the engineer said, this is the building. You fill the building in on what you want. Oh, I had a heyday. I, went, <laughs> I want this. I was like, I want this. And I made my crew chiefs have their own, you know, hanger, I, the patches. You know, I literally, and just designed the whole inside of the hangers in Hawaii. And um, I one day I do want to go back and take a look at the hangers that, I designed on the inside and the operation building 
I made this operation, two-story operation building with a, a skiff that's supposed to be. I hope it. I hope it all turned out because I never got to see the final product. Right. But a skiff in the operation building, and has a walkway around outside, so the brigade commander can literally go out of the of the operation two-story building and see the whole flight line. Mm. He could literally see where his aircraft are and literally watch missions happen from getting in the aircraft, taxiing out, taking off, and then jump right back in the talk there. And if it's a classified mission, you walk right into the skiff and monitor the whole mission from that area. He didn't have to go anywhere. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was awesome. I mean, I just, and you know, I got it all approved and you know, it's like $550 million worth of hangers and uh, parking and everything else. So I'm hoping that they actually continue building, but you know, who knows what the way the, you know, you do all this stuff and you don't know if I didn't actually see them break ground. I I ended up retiring before then, but yeah. And and for anyone who's listening, who's thinking like, wow, that's a lot of money. I don't know. That seems like a, a pretty, you know, wasteful expenditure if they already have hangers. First of all, screw you. Second of all, <laughs> the hangers that <laughs> yeah, we had to operate out of are just absolute dog shit. And and they're just like and they're none of them are the same. You know, you go to any post and it's like a completely different setup. It's like this one's got hallways here. And I've literally gotten lost in hangers because like the hallways like just button hook around. And you're like, I don't, where the fuck am I? But um, they're very old. They're very crap. They're condemned. Most of them. Yeah. Yeah. They, they should be if they're not already. Um, it's one of the few things that I will absolutely throw props to the air force. I flew down to Shaw air force base to, to do like a capabilities brief. You know, it's an hour and a half flight for us from Bragg. And we flew down there to do a, a brief with the F 16s. Cause we were going to do some training with them. And these motherfuckers, they, they pick us up and, uh, take us to their hangar. And they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll start here in a little bit. You guys can hang out in our, our, I don't know what the fuck, what they called it. They didn't call it a bar, but it was a goddamn bar. And you know, and it was like, the back wall of this bar was pure glass facing the flight lines. You had all the F 16s out there. You could see everything that was going on. And and the inside looked like a goddamn sports bar. You know, there's like dummy bombs and shit hanging from the ceilings and pictures, you know, just looked cool. Like I want to fucking hang out here, you know? And, uh, same thing in Osan. Yeah. You know, and all those dudes, they just all do it right. And, you know, I remember flying back and telling the guys in my flight, I was like, I don't care what it fucking costs. Like, I want that shit. Like, I will give up my office if we need to. Like, we need to make something that looks like that. And of course, we did. Well, that. unfortunately, you know, the army, you know, like you had, I won't throw his name out there. Everybody knows who it is. The army would be the army without you aviators. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that is that is a powerful statement. Yeah. That and he was a W five. Yeah. Everybody knows who I'm talking about. The older people that are listening in, the army would be the army without the aviators. No, that's not how it works. You know, you gotta realize a right. lot of these ground guys. Every time we pick them up, like in Afghanistan or Iraq, they're so happy that we're there. Yeah, you know, because now they don't have to walk. They don't have to get blown up. They don't have to. You know, they know they're going to get from point A to point B a lot safer and a lot faster. Yeah. Than if they had to drive their vehicles, uh, you know, it's like it's a spree decor. You know, we did missions with the A-10s in um, in Korea, and I'm down there briefing, you know, with the A-10s, and same thing. You walk in, they got the sports bar. It's like amazing, yeah. you know. And the last Army bar that I remember, I was in Sotokano in 2010, 
2009-2010, and we had the Lizard Lounge. It was amazing. You know, you walk in, you got all the patches from everybody that's been there, yeah. you know, because we had our name tags at the time and we put them on the wall. You have all this different army, you know, memorabilia back pictures dated back to the invasion of Panama, you know, and all the history was in that bar. And it was just when you walk in, you're like, man, yeah. this is this is what it's about. This is yeah. exactly. And it brought the unit together because we always had. You know, get togethers there. We had our, you know, our hell and farewells there. We had everything there. You know, our war ceremonies were in there. And, you know, it was just an amazing feeling. And then you have somebody, you know, and it was an armor, sorry to say it, but army, ar- armor colonel that took over uh, Soto Cano, you know, Joint Task Force Bravo, tore it down. Just literally took a bulldozer to it and tore it down. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, just it's it's a whole thing, you know, um, that I wish the Army would get back to. I wish they would get back to the esprit de corps, you know, where we can wear our patches yeah. on our on our uniforms, you know, just something that brings the unit together. Yeah. You know? Well, that's and, uh, so that the patches started to come back. Um, good. Yeah, I know. I know at Bragg. um when I was at hood and we were doing some stuff with div West guys there at hood. And one of yep, the guest OCs or something was, uh, was a Colonel and he was getting ready or he was taking command or had just taken command at the 82nd brigade. And I know he had put out a memo and basically let patches come back. So I, you know, I think it's one of those where like it's the commander dependent, but you know, you look at the uniforms when I went through flight school, it was probably around the same time you were as when the, the, the pickle suits were going away. Um, yep. Which I was, you know, fair, you know, I, I was not a pickle suit fan. I, I personally don't like the way they look. I had to wear them when I was a tanker and I just, they're more trouble than they're worth to me. However, comma, the reason for them to go away was complete and utter bullshit, you know, cause it's, cause it goes back to the, well, we want you to look like us. Well, we're not you like, right. I'm sorry that that offends you. And I'm sorry that that hurts your feelings. Flight school starts every two weeks. You can come join if you want, but this isn't about being better than you. This is about functionality and we are different than you and we should be treated differently. And so then they gave us those two seat or two piece uniforms, which I didn't mind. And they looked like BDUs, but they would still get shit like here at Bragg. You know, they'd be like, well, if you got to go up to division headquarters area, you know, put on your regular BDUs. I'm like, why? The whole reason I have this uniform is because it's supposed to look like BDUs. So now it's right. now that's not good enough. You know? Um, oh, I know. It's stupid, it, but you're hundred percent correct. I mean, just like that is, I was just telling somebody the other day, like that is part of the draw for aviation. I remember showing up to Bragg and my sponsor met me at a, a Mexican restaurant, um, you know, before I even in processed and he shows up and he's in uniform. And of course he's being the cool guy warrant, you know, he's like rolling up his sleeves halfway up his forearm and shit, but he's got a, uh, you know, he's got a unit patch on. And I just remember looking at that and be like, fuck yes. Like, that's awesome. That is what I want to be a part of. Uh, so yeah, hundred percent. They need to bring that shit back. Make people proud. To, to do army aviation instead of writing well, thing. dumb fuck emails saying, well, the army doesn't need you. Oh, really? Aviation is the most number one requested commodity by the soldier on the ground. Just like it you is. said, it keeps them from walking. It's more accurate fires than their shitty artillery. It's faster responsiveness than the cast. Like, you know, don't, don't discount it, but that's fine. The army's the army. Well, that's why they're having trouble with numbers. I mean, yeah. people are jumping out of the army 
aviation and and droves. What they they've now it's a ten year uh, contract yeah, ten year to yep. ten year ASO to uh, to go to flight school, and it's yeah. because they're you know instead of fixing the problem, they're putting they're like oh we're just gonna make them stay here for ten years. It's mm-hmm. like you know back when I was you know back in the nineties, everybody wanted to be a pilot. You know I mean yeah. that was the shit. You know hell yeah I want to fly. And, you know, we didn't have trouble with numbers, you know, yeah. they had their, their numbers coming in. Um, but then as the years got on and you got these woke commanders that, oh, that offends me. Fuck you. You know, <laughs> uh, that, I, and I was, you know, it's like they took away our, our, our Eagle Rising, our squash bug, you know, that was yeah. different. You know, and they made us, when they made us prop and rotor, made us wear the prop and rotor, I think that right there was the beginning of the downfall for Army aviation. Mm. We're not commissioned guys. Our job is to fly that aircraft and to be damn good at it. We're not here to lead. We're here to fly and then lead, but we're here to fly first as a warrant. And that's why the warrant corps, I was so proud to wear the, the Eagle Rising. And I still wear it on my tie here in the airlines, you mm. know. That's that. I was proud to wear that Eagle Rising. And when they took it away, you could see just the the air in the room go out when they said, "Hey, you can no longer wear the Eagle Rising. You got to wear a prop and rotor." Well, that's what the commission guys wore. You know, you know, we are RLOs, whatever you want to call them. You know, we're not RLOs. We are warrants. And uh, then that's that's when I saw the change in the Warrant Officer Corps. And that's when I saw the the whole different aspects of Army aviation go down from that point on. You know, well, culture's huge. I mean, that's yeah. that's not just the Army too, right? I mean, you can talk to guys from other services, and they, you know, they still have fun, but they they still will tell you that the culture, you know, and, well, and certainly there's parts of it that could probably be, you know, the the rounded off a little bit, but but generally speaking, allowing that culture to survive. Um, is, is well, you remember you remember when you came in what was our motto as a, as a as a warrant officer we take care of our own right and i remember when i became one of the senior warrants i walked up to my commander and this is this is actually and this is i i when i was in the air cav i had awesome commanders god i had the most amazing commanders out of any commanders i've ever had my whole time in the army was when i was an air cav and, you know, Colonel Alexander, he was the battalion commander, and it came down from there. The company commanders were freaking awesome. Platoon leaders, yeah, you know, they're still trying to find their way. And a lot of yeah. them were woke, but they got squashed by the by the company commanders. You know, hey, and I walked up, and I was like, sir, I'm the senior warrant in this company. And we're about ready to go downrange. I'm going to be the, one of the – I'm not the senior warrant, but I was like, you let them – if your platoon leaders have a problem – Come to me first. I will try to fix it. And if I can't, then I will go to the platoon leader and then they can start the, you know, the disciplinary procedures or whatever needs to happen. But let me, let me try to fix it first. And, you know, I would pull at first it was challenging because, you know, we always have our different, you know, cliques, you know, you got the Apaches and the Chinooks and the Blackhawks over here. We never really come together. First thing I did was all the warrants, Friday morning PT, we're meeting at IHOP. Yeah. We're having a warrant officer breakfast. 
and I had the whole back room, and you know, only a few showed up. I'm like, all right, whatever. Before we deployed, everybody was showing up because now it's like, hey, we're going down range. We're going to be one task force under Colonel Alexander. We need to come together now. So when we go down range, we are already together. And I can tell you, just between going down range as a task force that we did, where Colonel Alexander was in charge of the, the Apaches and the Chinooks and the Blackhawks, it was totally different than my two Iraq deployments that I did prior. We had that working relationship. We worked together already before going down range. We all the warrants knew each other because we started hanging out on Friday yeah. morning PT. That was our Friday morning PT was warrant officer PT. And, you know, the commander said, yeah, take them, Bill, do it, do what you got to do. It's funny and, how long it took for, for aviation to sort of embrace that whole task force mentality prior to deployment. Uh, I think I was after my second deployment and we had done the whole task force thing and I was leaving command, getting ready to go off to do other things. And they were, they actually physically moved my troop from the squadron hangar and we moved everything over to the Apache battalion hangar. Cause, cause we were mixing the Kiowas and the Apaches and then the Blackhawks were coming over too. like physically moved everyone into the same hangar yep. so that they could work together. And this was 2011, you know, we've been yeah. doing this for a while because normally it was just like you said, like it was just kind of last minute, like, all right, well now we're in Kuwait. Here's your buddies. And, uh, you guys are going to Key West and you guys are going to Missoula. Yeah. Yeah, and that's exactly the way, you know, we did the same thing. You know, we did Afghanistan 11-12, and like I said, but, you know, what's funny is a lot of the other task force didn't do that. They didn't, but, uh, you know, Colonel Alexander, he brought everybody together. He saw it, and like I said, said, he was one of the, the best commanders that I've ever had and I served under. Um, but, uh, and we, we went and we did our job. I mean, we did, we, we flew our asses off in, um, Key, in Shindan, um, and brought everybody home. But, uh, but yeah, it was fun. You know, uh, army was, was a, um, part of my life that I'll never forget. I don't miss it. <laughs> <You know? Right. laughs> I really don't. I get that question all the time from my yeah. captains right now. Do you miss yeah. it? No. Fuck Did no. I enjoy it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> at times, not all the time, but at times, you know, it's like a I had this relationship. I had this battalion commander try to end my career when I was a W2 in Iraq. You know, I was the, uh, I don't know if I should say his name cause he's a general now, but, um, oh, he, uh, he literally, um, I was the, uh, Battalion Alsi officer, and this is O five O six deployment. Life support equipment for for those listening. Yeah, aviation life support equipment officer battalion, um, and I'm in I- Iraq, and I had my own office, my own workspace. It was awesome. Uh, had my own building basically, and um, <clears throat> so we're sitting there, and I would build the helmets from scratch. And I had flight suits from the ground all the way up. I had nine feet high of the the two piece desert tan flight suits, oh, and I think I, yeah, I love those. I still have like many pairs, um, but I had probably about at one time like three hundred and thirty sets 
of all all sizes. And I would try to hand them out to my my guys. Hey, if you rip a, a fly suit, come in. I'll give you a brand yeah. new pair. These are brand new. No one would take them. Hmm. So I started opening up to the base. All of a sudden, I had, you know, we had fifth group that was there. We had other special forces that were on uh, to crit. They would come over and say, hey, hey, uh, can we get some? And I'd hand them. Here's three pairs. Here's three pairs. I started handing them out. And I think I got all the way down. By the time I left, I had like only maybe 120 sets. I, I handed out like. 200 sets, none of them to my guys, all to yeah. special forces and everybody else. And then our division commander, he wanted this helmet because he liked to, he wanted to put MVGs on his helmet while he's flying in the back at night so he could see. Sure. So his aide came over and said, Hey, the division commander wants a helmet. I was like, Bring him in. I'll fit him and I'll give him a helmet and with an, a nod mount and everything else. So he, division commander comes in, I introduce him. And, I fit him perfectly, and and uh, he goes off with his helmet. Well, we're doing this air assault, and we had it's uh, a, remember the A and CDs, the little oh, yeah. secret box to fill our radios. Well, we're doing this air assault. Oh shit, thirty in the morning, and my A and CD was bad, had a bad fill, so I wasn't being able to to uh, put the classified comms into my radios. So. They kept trying, kept trying, and we're about ready to be miss our takeoff time. And uh, I was like, all right, stop. All right, guys, this this is a bad ANCD, and I announced it. Hey, I'm putting this ANCD between the seats. We had an ammo can that was – I'm like, this is a bad ANCD. Don't use it. Go next door. Grab you – know, go to the aircraft beside us. Grab their ANCD, and let's fill these radios so we don't miss our takeoff time. So they come over. They fill it well. Lo and behold, I didn't know the combo guy grabbed the ANCD from, from the back of the, the aircraft and kept trying to use the old one until the mm. new one came over. Well, he said it at my feet. He didn't mm. say anything. So we're flying doors off. He says this ANCD at my feet. It's oh shit 30 in the morning. We're already panicking because we're about ready to miss our, our takeoff time. And um, we go and take off. <clears throat> Fly this mission. Come back. We're doing our sensitive item inventory before we go turn everything into the talk. And I'm like, where's that ANCD at? I stowed it right here in this ammo can. It's gone. I'm like, oh, shit. So now I got to go to the talk, say, hey, the ANCD I signed out is missing. So now they had to go through and change the comms for the whole theater. It was a nightmare. Yeah. Well, I get put on uh, duty from the battalion commander where I had to walk from the tent out to the gate of our, you know, LSA 11 into crit, which was about a mile in the hot desert. And I had to do that for two weeks. That was my punishment. <laughs> well, they did the 15, six investigation and the 15, six investigating officer came back and said, Hey, uh, Murray is not held liable because he, he interviewed everybody and said, yeah, he did announce that he's going to stow this. And lo and right. behold, the combo guy even came forward and said, yeah, I grabbed it and I set it at his feet and I didn't say it that I put it there. So, you know, no harm, no foul lesson learned. Oh no. This battalion commander said, I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a statement. He wrote me an OER do not promote, do not retain Ooh. OER as a W2. Well, the division stands officer was CW5 Shaughnessy, awesome guy. He comes over and he's yelling at the battalion commander and this guy named <laughs> – right, I guess I could say it, Who cares? His name was Galley, and we called him Hurricane Galley. 
and we never knew <laughs> before you walked in the talk, you had hurricane galley category one through five. And if it was five, <laughs> don't go in the talk unless you have to, because he's yelling at everybody. Uh, and uh, yeah. So, you know, hurricane galley, he sat there and Shaughnessy's yelling at him. And he walked out and he said, I'm sorry, Bill. And he walked out and I was like, well, shit, that's the end of my career. Whatever. I'm done. You know, I'm not, I'll never mm. make three because I got to do not promote, do not retain OER. Yeah. So we, uh, I finished and, and we're getting ready to leave. Division commander A came back, said, hey, here's the division commander helmet. And I was like, I don't want it. He's like, what do you mean you don't want it? I'm like, I don't want the helmet. And I was like, I made that helmet from scratch. It's on no one's hand receipt. Give it to the division commander. And, um, you know, and he's like wow okay cool you know so he gave it to the division commander and and we deployed back to campbell and, I, and then i became the division alci officer mm-hmm. um and so now i'm running the the alci shop and we had we created two brigade alci shops and they're all in one and spending all kinds of money building up this alci shop brand new tools brand new everything i even got some connexes for them to do their mission in Afghanistan and everything else. Shaughnessy comes down and he goes, Hey Bill, come down to my office. So I go over to his office. He says, Hey, how was that last OER? I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, you know, his name is Mark Shaughnessy. I was like, Mark, you know, uh, my career's over. You know, I'll just serve my time. I'll get out and I'll do whatever I need to do. He goes, why don't you go look at it again? I'm like, okay. I walked up. I looked at my OER top, warrant officer in the battalion. I was like, holy shit. I'm like, that's not the OER that I had in in Iraq. (laughs) And I walked back down to to Mark's office and I said, hey, he goes, don't thank me, Bill. He goes, keep doing what you're doing. People are watching out for your career. Mm. I was like, wow. So I continue on, made W3, made W4 and retired. But it was funny that, you know, and I tell everybody, hey, you keep working until you sign out of the army, period. Yeah. You do yeah. the best job you can no matter what. And, you know, and I think the fact that I created a brigade, a, you know, two brigade Aussie shops, had it all established, you know, handed out God knows how many uniforms to anybody that needed them, didn't ask, you know, didn't make them sign anything. Here, go do your mission, you know, because the special forces, now they're not ripping their BDUs. They're ripping uniforms yeah. that they don't have to go buy. You know, and always just do do right by people and let the chips fall where they fall. And you'll be surprised at how many times that they will fall in the right direction. Well, and, you uh, you broke the cardinal rule of anyone who has supplies, and that is that you're supposed to treat them as if you bought them yourself. And, and, and yeah. You can't, you can't <laughs> let anyone it. else have them, you know. You could, know. Never, you could never make it as a cook. In the army, because <laughs> you would you would be giving people, you know, chicken and beef. Uh, the same, Damn the same you! Pastor. Yeah, you got two corn starches. You're only supposed yeah. to get one. Right. You know? Potatoes, <laughs> potatoes and you corn. Get potatoes or rice. You don't get both. Yep. <laughs> you know? right. Yeah, but you know, I mean, like I said, I I was I was very fortunate to be put in the right right positions at the right time, um, and you know, again. You know, I was that warrant officer raised, you know, from 92 all the way up until 2014. I still kept that warrant officer mentality. You know, back in the 90s, you know, we used to deploy to the field. 
the Woj better grab the porn box. If he didn't, all hell was going to break loose. And we had a tough box that was full of porn. You know, it was back in those 90s, you know, where it was yeah. different, you know. And if a, a warrant officer screwed up, it was taken care of at the warrant officer level. Yeah, the wolf. You know, yeah, the wolf pack. I know. It's amazing. I love the wolf pack. And, you know, I think the Army, if they were able to get back to, you know, that spree decor and, you know, let people screw up from time to time. Yeah. You know, did they did they put someone's life in danger? If the answer is no, did they purposely screw up? And if the answer is no, give them a you know give them a chance. And you know, nine times out of ten, when you give that soldier a chance and he learns from it, he's going to be a freaking amazing soldier. Amazing, you know. Yeah, there's absolute value in letting people learn through mistakes. I mean, that's that's when you learn. I mean, obviously, you got to stop the mistake before it, it's catastrophic. But um, yeah, break the chain. You know how they always yeah, say in uh, yeah, the safety exactly. world, because I was a safety officer. Uh, you yeah. always try to break the chain, but pull them aside before an accident happens, and yeah. say, "Hey, wait a minute! What you got to stop?" You know, and I've had, you know, even in my civilian flying career, I was a captain flying for Fly Exclusive, and. We're doing this mission. This I say mission. We're doing this flight <laughs> into Mexico, and it was a bad part of Mexico. This the city that we were going to was uh, ran by the drug cartel, and mm. um, I remember the chief pilot calling me, and I was in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, about ready to do this mission. And no, lost. Yeah, it's Phoenix. It's Phoenix. And I'm going. He calls me and goes, "Hey, Bill, you were in combat, weren't you?" I'm like, "Yeah." He goes, "All right, good." Um, we have this passioner that needs to go into Mexico and no captain will take it. Will you take it? And I'm going, can you do sure. 300%? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, sure. Why not? I'm like, I'll do it. And then I had this FO that they, he goes, and your FO, we're thinking about firing him, oh, Jesus. fly him. And I'm like, man, not only am I going into a city in Mexico, that's not the best city to go to, I got an FO that they're thinking about firing. What, 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 this is a recipe for disaster. So we go on, we do this, we do this flight and I'm flying with this guy and he's just, you can see he's rattled. I mean, just rattled. I couldn't even get him to talk on the radio coming out to fly to California to pick to do this, this pack move. And I'm like, calm down, man. What's wrong with you? And then, you know, we flew together for a couple of days. And what it was is he's like, you're the only captain that doesn't yell at me. Yeah. And I was like, what? Yeah. I had a, what are you talking about? He goes, yeah. He goes, he, the English was a second language. He was from Jamaica. Hmm. And, um, you know, he was just one of those. And I, I trained, you know, I just talked him through things. Like, hey, listen, this is how we do this. This is, a, you know, I, it was a training flight for three days into a bad part of Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was funny. And then we get back. You know, we do this whole trip and um, we get back to Vegas and we go our merry way. He's like, he shook my hand. He said, thank you. He goes, finally, someone gave me a chance. And then come to find out about six months later, guess who's the employee of the month? Him. I was like, holy shit. You know, it just, and that's again, you know, always, you know, take a step back sometimes, you know, and 
look at things in a holistic view and get people a time of day and you'd be surprised what they could what they can do yeah what um so that's interesting i mean you you retired from the army and then did you start doing that the corporate flying no i um i went to gojet uh okay gojet did my i did rtp rotor transition program uh, from hawaii dollars an hour back then thirty nine dollars an hour yeah (laughs) i know right um and, you know, it was funny because I was sitting there retiring out of uh, Hawaii, and I was going to go fly hymns. Actually, I was going to fly uh, search and rescue for mm. Rocky Mountain Rescue out of Boulder, Colorado. Mm. And um, that's where that's where I was going. And I was like, yeah, I want to go fly search and rescue. And um, Eric Sabaston, great guy, you know, president of Artag, mm-hmm. uh, called me out of the blue in Hawaii. And my wife, my current wife, amazing woman, always asked me why am I why am I not going to the airlines? And I'm like, ah, oh, they don't take our hours. Ah, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a helicopter pilot. You know, that Blackhawk, look how sexy that Blackhawk is. I don't want to fly fixed wing. And um, he yeah, called me. He goes, hey Bill, I see you're going to uh, retire. Have you thought about the airlines? I remember looking over at Jen, my wife. She looked at me. She let that look like <laughs> I was like. <laughs> no he goes why not he started talking to me and he's like yeah they accept our hours now there's rtp programs i think mesa and gojet were like the only two doing it at the time no yeah. oh, psa too psa mesa and gojet and i was like he's all you might want to look into it and i was like hey thanks eric appreciate the call and i'll take a look at it and me and my wife we looked at it and um gojet was the fit because we were moving to raleigh they had a base in raleigh and um yeah, they paid for all my training out of uh, Hawaii. Um, I mean, <clears throat> seriously, I had to contemplate life decisions more than once in Hawaii because uh, I tried to hover a Cessna 172, and it uh, was kind of funny. I, we hit the ground at about uh, 17, 18 knots. <laughs> that instructor <laughs> looked at me. He goes, hey, oh, my God. I, I – the stall horns going off. I have no idea what the fucking horn is going off. <laughs> and we literally touched the ground around 18 knots. And, and, uh, the, the uh, structure said, God damn it. He goes, you can't hover a fucking fixed wing. He goes, but shit, you sure in the hell tried. And I was like, what was that horn? He goes, that's a stall horn going off. I was like, Oh, I was like, is that bad? He's like, you know, I think this guy did not want to train me anymore after that. It was funny. I was like, oh, so that's bad. I shouldn't hear that horn. You know, he's like, yeah, that's bad. What the hell's wrong with you? You know, I was one of those. Um, and then my first cross-country solo, I was flying from Kauai to Lanai. Or, yeah, Kauai to Lanai. And um, as I'm coming in to shoot my approach – into Lanai, first cross-country solo, I hit mountain wave coming off of the volcanoes off of Maui, hmm. and it rocked me. It threw me up in the canopy. I was flying a DA-40, threw me up in the canopy. Canopy alarms going off because I didn't have my seatbelt tight. Canopy alarms going off, knocked off my headset. Everything went blurry. I was like, oh, shit. I mean, and so all I did was full throttle, pull back on the stick a little bit, just so I could, I could feel that I'm climbing. And then everything started coming back. I'm like, all right, I'm in a climb. Here we go. Everything's good. 
and um you know my head i had a, some little bit of blood coming off my head hmm. and uh i was like so i put my headset on canceled the canopy alarm and i flew back to honolulu i'm like you know what fly back to honolulu give tie up the aircraft give the keys get out of my car and contemplate life decisions like holy <laughs> shit i almost died and on my very first cross-country solo I'm like, is this what I want to do? Right. And so I drive back and I got a knot on my head and uh, Jen looks at me and she goes, what happened to you? And I told her and she goes, good. That's going to make you a better pilot. Get out there and do it again. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit. Not, you know, I was thinking my wife was going to be like, oh my God, you almost died. No, I don't want you doing this. You know, we have twin girls, you know, at the time, you know, we just had babies or twins or you know and uh oh my god no she's like good it's gonna make you a better pilot do it again and that's you know that's the kind of support i have at the house where i just from that point on it was i i got my check all my hours within five months and took my check ride and off to go jet i went um and uh flew that for a year and a half and then flew corporate and then now with uh frontier so, yeah, it's a but, it's a different world, completely, completely alien from where we came from in a lot of ways. The only way that made me successful was I get in the aircraft and I was always deselling too high. Always, yeah. always, always deselling too high. Yeah. So I get in the aircraft with this instructor. I was like, here's what we're going to do today. I don't care about what you think we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. We're going to go out and do landings one after another, one after another until I get that sight picture. Yeah. to when I know I should desell. And then once I can master a landing, now we can go out and do steep turns and stalls and everything else. But until yeah. then, that's in my head, and I'm not really learning. And so we did – that whole training event was nothing but landings until I finally got it down, and then off I went. Now you know, now I know where my, my site picture is for when I should desell. It changes my aircraft, but I got the, yeah. the, the, the foundation. And, um, you know, so yeah, yeah, I love it. I mean, I, best decision I've ever made. Eric pushed me to, uh, to go into the airlines and Eric pushed me to go to frontier. And that was at our tag in 20, not this our tag, but last year's our tag. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> you know, uh, one of the other first officers wife walked up and she goes, do you love your wife? I was like, that's a kind of an odd question. I'm like, yeah, I love <laughs> no, my wife. Tell her. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah, I love my wife. She, she goes, you get your ass in this frontier line. Cause I'm, I live in Tampa and frontier has a t- Tampa base. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. she's like, get your ass in that line. She goes, my husband's home, you know, all the time, 20, 20 plus days a month. He's home. And she's like, yeah. you have twin girls that are young and they want to see, get your butt in this line. And I got in the frontier line and I got hired. And yeah, I'm home 18 to 22 days a month. You know, uh, sometimes more. I need to go to the frontier then. Oh yeah, dude. I tell you, I <clears throat> literally my worst month so far being with Frontier, I, I blocked uh, 94 hours and I credited like 107. I was home 15 days that month, but I yeah. flew my ass off. Now you know I fly 60, 60 to 80 hours a month. But I'm home 18 to 22 days, sometimes more, 
uh, I'm home. Like one month I was home 20, 29, 29 days that month. You know, I was home because yeah. I was doing day trips. I was on reserve and they'd use me to go up, fly to Tampa to Buffalo and back or Tampa to, you know, New York or wherever back, you know, and I would just do day trips and I'd be home every night. Well, that's, that's know? the trick, right? Because you live in base. I mean, yes, that is, that is, uh, yeah, I got to get to that. And that's the problem. You know, living I mean, I base in, is where it's at. Yeah, I live in Fayetteville, so, so the, obviously it's a base for no one. Um, I mean, we're planning to move here soon. We we in the next uh, year and a half, two years probably. Uh, just waiting on the oldest to get out of high school. But uh, you know, we're looking at Charlotte area, and so in my mind, you know, I'm just kind of thinking American. You know, that's just American like long term long term goal. Um, yeah. You know, the company I fly with now, you know, it's it's sort of a roughneck operation. You know, it's it's uh, it's a 121 supplemental. So it's it's charter. Um, you know, we do weird stuff. We go to off the wall places, um, but I'm home based. So they have to fly me to wherever they want. I don't have to worry about jump seating. You know, I get a ticket. So that that takes some of the burden off. Um, but I still got to hate commuting just just at all. I hate I hate to say it people but i hate sitting in the back with the cattle you know that's like the way i talk about it with people is like just sitting in the back as a passenger is the absolute worst i hate it um i do yeah you know i think i've only deadhead um with frontier maybe six times since i've been there um so but yeah i was when i was charter you know i was home base and we worked eight on six off yeah um but everybody's like, oh, eight on six off. That's a great schedule. No, it's freaking sucked. Yeah. You know, eight because long, long trip. It is because they would, you know, eight on six off. And then day one, you know, I, I hear they bring me back at, I land at midnight on day eight. Yeah. So oh, I'm yeah, sleeping. 100%. Yeah. I'm sleeping day one on my day off. And then the other two, you know, doing the, the honey do list that built up over yeah. those eight days. And then going grocery shopping and then packing and trying, you know, I like my wife cooks amazingly. So she always makes me meals. So now we're doing food prep for the next eight days, you know, and, and, um, and then off we go again, flew to some awesome places and definitely made me a better pilot flying the Citation XL. Um, but you know, it's nothing compared to flying that Airbus and being, uh, home base. Home base is where it's at. If you could get to an airline where your home base, man, your your quality of life goes through the roof. Um, I tell everybody that comes and talks to me about the airlines, and I say, you know, they ask me about Frontier. Yes, I love Frontier. They've been great to me. The pilots I fly with are amazing. I haven't really flown with anybody I don't ever want to fly with again. Now I had a list at GoJet of people I didn't want to fly with ever again. <laughs> Yeah. I don't have that here. I don't. Yeah. And I, I've only flown with one captain twice. I've flown with so many different captains yeah. that um, I don't have that list here. But I tell people, you know what? Besides my story, if wherever you want to settle, wherever there's an, a base, home base for an airline, go to that airline. Yeah. Because your quality of life, even if you have a shitty captain, you're still going home. And you're still, right. you know, uh, it makes a, it makes a lot different. Um, but, uh, yeah, you always definitely go to, go to home base. 
and that yeah, will, that quality will of life. I mean, money's one thing. I mean, we 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 get paid pretty well where I'm at, but um, and I I really enjoy. We fly these old ass seven thirty sevens. I mean, we have some yeah, I know. and four hundred, <laughs> but um, but I love them. Yeah, I, know I mean, I I really yeah. <laughs> your company's based out of Greensboro, North Carolina. That's correct. Um. <laughs> Yeah, and it's, <laughs> it is a roughneck organization, no doubt about it. But I mean, I love it. I mean, I really do like the company. I've same as you. I've never flown with a captain I didn't like. Um, they've all been incredibly gracious with you know taking a dumb helicopter guy who's has you know you know the the, the minimum required Cessna time and then jumps into a seven thirty seven. Um, hell, the captain I flew with last time, you know, I, I flew VIP, so we were flying hockey teams, and. Um, we're not supposed to let the FOs land with the VIP. He's like, fuck that. He's like, you're not going to learn. He's like, you got it. Yeah. So he let, he let me do one. And I mean, I greased it on. It was smooth as butter, you know? And he's like, you're good. You know? So he let me do all the landings after that. Um, so I've never had a bad experience with the captains. I've the planes, you know, yep. We have some, some issues with some, sometimes the planes do funky things in the air. Um, but, uh, yeah, the schedule. That's just the bottom line. Like we have a not awesome schedule and there's they're making some adjustments into in it. And, you know, at the end of the day, a place, you know, is one thing I learned in the armies, you know, a place a lot of times is, is what you make of it. Um, you, you have to try to, you know, I hate to say hunt the good stuff, right? You always heard that shit. But, you know, the, the reality is sometimes you do. And when you're starting out, and I'm sure you had to do it with GoJet, too. You know, it's not a it's not a forever home for most people. I don't is is Frontier. Do you think that's going to be your forever home? Are you going to stay there, or do you want to move on? As long as they keep that Tampa base, they yeah. they're going to have to push me out of the air, the company. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, and you know, we even have the Orlando. I could drive to Orlando if I have to. It's only an hour and a half drive. Yeah. Um, but no, Frontier is my forever home, and okay. as I say that right now, because we're growing so rapidly, the aircraft, our oldest aircraft's like five to seven years old. <laughs> um, so we're flying. I know it's funny. People, we, we're, I was, I'm flying with this captain now. And he's like, Oh shit, I'm flying the old aircraft. And I was like, yeah. it's seven years old. I'm like, that is, that's young compared. I mean, you get on United Airbus, you know, get on a 320 and I, you know, I'm like, what the, I mean, it's like one of the first Airbuses that came off the production line and they're still flying them. Dude, the, um, the, the seven, three I flew this past week was 30 years old. Yeah, I was flying 25-year-old Citation XLs. Yeah. I'm like, <clears throat> so, you know, and then a lot of our aircraft, I would say about 80% of our aircraft are no older than three years old. Wow. And so we're flying brand new aircraft. They rarely, and when they, when I say they have an issue, it's it's nothing that is yeah, e- easily like fixed. Yeah. yeah, and it's, you know, or no APU. Okay, so we got to do an air start. Right. Whatever. Um, but, uh, you're not like losing cabin pressure at 36,000 feet. I've done that. Man, okay. that's no fun. <laughs> me, me too. A couple of times. Yeah. Decompressurization. Yeah. Yeah. At least they're slow leaks. It's not what it's like explosive decompression, but you know, it's one of those. Slow well, leaks. I did like, have, oh, shit. I had one coming out of Dallas and we hit 13,000 feet on takeoff and my ears just started popping right. bad. Yeah. And I looked down and our cabin pressure became an altimeter. I'm like, Oh shit. And I immediately just contacted. I, uh, my FO didn't even know what I was doing. I was like, yeah, you know, center, we are descending down to 10,000 feet. I got pressurization. Like I'll get back with you. And so they're like, Roger, 
cleared down to 10,000 feet, and we came immediately came down before I hit 14.4, and the rubber jungle dropped in the back. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, and then uh, for some reason, I put on extra fuel that day. It was a clear blue day going from Dallas to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and my passenger that was on board, you know, flying this, this VIP, and I get down to 10,000 feet. Everything looks good. Okay. You know, it was, it was a door seal that just popped. And so, Mm. you know, it it, it literally, if we would have got, if we were higher, it would have been a a rapid decompression and explosive. Maybe could have been, who knows? But, uh, so I look at him, I was like, how bad do you need to go to Atlanta? And he goes, (laughs) I got a meeting bad. I was like, do you mind flying at 10,000 feet? He goes, no, that'd be pretty cool actually. So 10,000 feet, the 300, <laughs> yeah, three, 330 knots, 10,000 feet all the way to Atlanta. I, that was, that was a pretty cool flight. You know, you yeah. don't really, you don't get to do that often. And, uh, so yeah, we flew at 10,000 feet all the way to Atlanta. Now, every center would be like, are you sure you want to stay? I was like, yeah, I have to, I got pressurization issue. And so I put on just enough fuel to, to make it. Cause of course you're burning a shit ton of fuel uh, yeah. at that altitude. But, um, yeah, it was, yeah, and, you know, I had hydraulic failures, stave failures, landing gear failures. I mean, you name it. Uh, mm-hmm. We were having all kinds of issues with these older, uh, but, you know, that's what we're trained for, right? And that's exactly, yeah. you know, when I get in a, an aircraft with a captain, he'll look over at me. And, you know, they always ask, what would you do? I was like, Army. He goes, oh, shit. I was like, what? <laughs> he goes, "He goes, I will try to do a good landing. And I'm like, <laughs> Because it's not a, oh, shit, we're with Army. It's like, oh, shit, right. you guys are amazing. And you always your landings are always so smooth because yeah. everybody I fly with, you know, when they see that I'm Army, they're like, oh, now I got to do better than you. You know, I'm the captain. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so we are – we're literally – we're showing the uh, 121 world and the, the corporate aviation and the fixed wing world that, hey, we are a pool that is to reckon with. We are, yeah. we are really good, good pilots, good sticks, good air sense. And that, and we handle ourselves well under pressure because, you know, I mean, yeah. what kind of pressure can you, you manipulate via combat being engaged, you know, yeah. going to the X in the middle of the night, taking out a high value target. Absolutely. Nothing compares to what we, the stuff we'll have here in the airlines, nothing. And so I think that's why. The airline industry, you know, RTAG just announced they're doing a rotor transition program and um, it opened up a big, that's a big pot of pilots that um, a major doing a, a rotor transition program is just sh- shaking up the industry. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing what's what's to come with uh, with uh, aviation. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a great experience and opportunity for us that, you know, many guys didn't have before and you're right. I mean, the captain I just flew with, he, he made the same comment, you know, in a sense that when I, when he found out I was a helicopter guy, he's like, you know, we, cause we have a lot, our company was very, um, alluring to helicopter guys because of the immediate 737 type rating and, and the pay and stuff. So we have a lot of helicopter guys and, and he's like, you know, I haven't flown with really one of you that's bad yet. You know, our, our biggest problem of course is just, you know, when do you slow down? You know, that's like, I think we all struggle with the D cell and, and all that stuff. Uh, but landings, yeah, smooth. In fact, the mechanic, we usually fly with the flight mechanic and he actually told me, he's like, your landing's actually too smooth. He's like, he called it the Boeing landing. 
He's like, because if you land, if you land too smooth, the wheels don't turn as fast and it actually wears the wheels down because you, you actually want to hit with enough force to really get those wheels spinning. And, uh, I was like, oh, okay. Makes so sense. I, I hit a little bit harder in the next one. Just to, <laughs> I was like, all right, I'll just remember to, that. Just, <laughs> just to appease them. Yeah, yeah exactly. Slam it on. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. flying into Midway. Midway is one of our shortest land, runways that we land at. We got yeah, Midway, Trenton, and Berkeley. But for yeah. the Airbus 220, I mean, that's 6,800-foot runway. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, it's, a, you, it's one of those ones you don't float. You float, you're going around. Right. I, and, the very only airline I ever watched to go around, because I did all my fixed wing at Trenton, was a Frontier Bird came in and just yeah, had yeah. to go around. Yeah. Trenton is Trenton's another one. Trenton, Midway, and very Berkeley small. are the very, are the smallest runways I think that we land at. So yeah. we're flying in there, heavy rain at night with a eighteen twenty knot crosswind, mm, and yeah. the captain it was my leg, and the captain looks at me and he goes, "Are you okay with this?" I was like, "Hell yeah." Let's do it. He's like, all right, it's your leg. Let's do it. And man, that was, you know, that's like the the funnest, you know, it was a very smooth landing. We made the the high speed at the end. So we didn't even have to go to the end of the runway. He's like, wow, that's pretty good. He's like, you army guys. (laughs) He's like, you know, he's like, I probably wouldn't have let a first time person going into Midway fly that, but he goes, you're army. So you guys, you guys are proving yourself. So. Yeah, it's fun. Trenton, I've landed in Trenton many times, um, but those are yeah, those those are those are interesting. The crosswind and this Airbus is is a challenge too because it's fly by wire. Right. So fly by wire is a trip. You don't get to do, you know, like a fly by wire. You it's hard to pull. You, like you know, pull up and turn at the same time. No, you pull up then turn. You don't hmm. pull and turn because it's fly by wire. So you descend, then turn, or turn and then pull. So it's it's very. It, 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 I think that's the hardest thing from a guy going from a yoke to a side stick is to get that comprehension that hey, you got to be ahead of the aircraft because you got to do one or the other first. You know, yeah. it's not a simultaneous movement like you can in a yoke or, or not a, a non fly by wire aircraft. Um, so, <clears throat> but once you get the hang of it. It, it's fun. It's the funnest aircraft I've flown for the, in the fixed wing, you know, community. It's it's definitely an awesome, awesome, uh, big cockpit. You know, you can get out and stretch in the back if you have to. Oh, I know your guys' cockpit is just out of control. Yeah, it's fun. It's, it's way nice. Too big. <clears throat> I love it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's definitely one of those things, man. It's I, I see good good progress in in the frontier, and I see myself climbing the ladder, make captain, captain, make check airman, and maybe one day be a chief pilot. We'll see and yeah. go from there. Um, but yeah, I love it. It's a lot different than the army world. It's for yeah, sure. It's, it's very different. Very different indeed. Well, thanks, uh, for all that. Yeah, that was a good time. And, um, I guess we can wrap it up there, but, um, appreciate it. Thanks for having yeah. me on. Yeah, I appreciate, really appreciate you know your service and uh, you know the service of your family with your, with your brother. It's terrible to hear, but um, unfortunately, yeah, I mean, we all know somebody somewhere that unfortunately lost their life over there, and IEDs were just absolutely out of control. Um, yeah, insane you know, the the things that they could do with those things. They always told me the longer you serve, the more 
people that you're going to lose. Yeah. You know, I mean, one more story real quick, you know, Karen Kennedy was an amazing guy. Ben Smith, uh, Scott Rose, Paul Neff. We lost them uh, in November 2003. And uh, <clears throat> my name was on the flight manifest. I was supposed to fly that mission. And I got pulled off of it literally the night before the mission. Um, <clears throat> and they flew me up to Missoula, dropped me off, continued their mission, and took a missile into crit. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we all had those 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 uh stories unfortunately but the biggest thing we could do is just you know live live on and and do good by them and and i think that's what we're doing you know with army aviation we are you know we're making a life for ourselves and a name for ourselves outside the army and we're taking what we learn inside the army into a new industry that is was not used to having us yeah and um you know that's the uh the thing so live live good and do good and also remember to always reach out to each other because you know we're we're always here for each other you know that warrant officer mentality take care of each home that's what uh, we continue doing in the airlines and the fixed wing community but yeah i really appreciate you having me on when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers and if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise, and with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.